final furlong podcast is brought to you in association with attheraces.com, the ultimate resource for racing fans. Welcome along to the final furlong podcast as we look back at a fantastic weekend's racing. I'm Emma Kennedy, joined finally by Sky Sports Racing's Hayley Moore, internet sensation herself. Welcome along to the final furlong podcast, Hayley. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, Emma. Glad you could uh, remind me of that. But uh, no, it's good to finally get a time that works out for us both. And a very good moment as well after what's been um, an amazing few days, starting from from Friday, Saturday, and of course Sunday. So I think I've timed it well. (laughs) I think you have picked a fantastic podcast to come on for. I say internet sensation, I should say global sensation, because I think that's how CNN labelled you. Mm. It was the At The Races cameras were on you. I have to bring it up, Hayley, sorry. At The Races cameras are are live on you. There's a horse storming at you full speed. Most of the time when you see this happen, and we've always seen it, a horse gets loose before the start and just decides, ah, I'm going to go off into a little run down the country. Most people run away, but not Alien Moore. You stand there, stare him down, look him in the eyeballs, grab his reins, he slightly drags you to the ground, then you stop him and give him a nice old pat. Yeah, it was um, one of those heat of the moment things and something I'm never, ever doing again because of the reaction. And like you say, I think we had over six million hits um, at the time. The guys at, at the races said that that's how many people had viewed that bit of footage. So certainly if there was one way to get people's attention, that was it. And the most disappointing thing is I actually fell over. But um, it's fine. Live to fight another day. But nobody cared that you fell over. If you fell over and were dragged along going, oh, my God, like that would have been an it'll be all right in the night sequence. And obviously we would have been worried for your health. You know, we would have been laughing a lot, but worried about your health. But the fact that you managed to stop the horse was just it was insane. I know he was, I promise you, a very tired horse and he'd done two full laps after his race of Chepstow. And if you've walked Chepstow, you know it's a a big course and he was so tired that the horse wanted to be caught. They're adrenaline animals, flight animals running on on his adrenaline and he wanted to be stopped. He just didn't quite know how to. So luckily there was a, a big enough idiot on course to um, to control him <laughs> <laughs> luckily there was Haley Moore ready to just go come here you I'm going to stop you uh, yeah. I met, last time I saw you was was the Goodwood Festival the Qatar Goodwood Festival which was uh, a lot of fun um, I hope you have not developed an addiction to Baraka since we last met yeah um, as I fed you copious amounts of them to keep both of us going <laughs> They're long. They're long days. Uh, they are. You... It doesn't help when you're drinking. I think Mirabeau ice lollies, which I didn't realise were quite so strong and alcoholic. So. <laughs> oh, that explains it. Yeah, that I'm ex- a bit of a. I'm a bit of a lightweight. <laughs> so it wasn't the Baraka. It was. It was alcoholic ice lollies, which I would like to order five right now, please. Thank you very yeah. much. But you come from a racing background. Your grandfather was very famously in racing. He was a, a jockey and a trainer. Your your dad is obviously uh, an incredibly talented trainer. Your brother Jamie's had huge success. Ryan's doing all right for himself. He's, you know, he'll make a name for himself one of these days, I should think, um, if he keeps at it. He's widely regarded as the best jockey in the world. 
did you you started in in race riding was it ever something that you considered pursuing as a career or was media always what you wanted to focus on yeah it's funny really um when i was very young i always just thought i'd be a, a jockey you know you read books you watch films and you just think josie the jump jockey yeah i'll get there one day you watch the film the pie you know there's all sorts of inspiration growing up and you get hooked on horses like desert orchids so you think yeah i'll be a jockey then as you get older I suppose you you have the reality hits and um, I suppose when I was growing up and looking to be an amateur jockey um, it was still quite early stages and women weren't really cutting the grain and making it at the top of the game like they are now I was 16 when I had my first ride I'm now 31 and things have really changed times have really moved forward and when I was 16 it was very much a case of I'll do this for fun but I'll need to have a, another job alongside it if I'm going to support my amateur riding career because I wasn't going to make a career out of being a jockey now if I was starting out tomorrow I'd probably think a lot differently and I, I my auntie had been a successful jockey herself so there was enough female inspiration in my life my mum had gone out at the age of 33 after having all four of us kids and she got her license out and she rode about 12 winners which is a lot for an amateur so I had the right inspiration but I suppose it just was a case of women didn't really make a profession out of it it was a bit of a man's world and you can go out and enjoy it but you need to do something else as a profession as well and I did enjoy media um, so when I was 14 years old I went and did some um, work work experience at the old racing channel and sat in there and met George Irvine and he said to me yeah do your A-levels learn to drive and come back and see us when you're 18 and that's kind of what I did and and worked behind the scenes in racing alongside doing a bit of um, amateur race riding but never thought about making it a professional career because it was at, at that point even not that long ago that women didn't really set out about making a career because it was still you know, very male dominated. Yeah. And that obviously is one of the things that thankfully has changed uh, and for the good. But it's taken, as you say, a very long time. And it's actually really interesting when you say that, that it's almost a decade. Like you, you're talking yeah. about something that you started when you were 14 years of age. Um, getting work experience in the race, the old racing channel with that terrible old logo and that rubbish set, yeah. but it was a great <laughs> channel to be fair. Um, the going into to media, but wanting to be a jockey, and a part of you wanting to follow in the footsteps that you've grown up in, um, in the legacy that that has gone before you almost. But at the same time, weighing on your heart, knowing I can't do this because a woman can't do it, and yet. Now we have Hayley Turner as a Group 1 winning jockey. Um, I know she's come out of retirement several times and keep on doing it, Hayley. Uh, why not? But she's a very, very talented jockey. You've got Rachel Blackmore, who is absolutely f phenomenal. Bryony Frost. You must be very, very proud of them that they have succeeded because back when you were trying, I suspect that there may have been an attitude that is this maybe even there was a, an attitude that you wouldn't be in, actively encouraged i'm sure your family did but those outside of the moore household may not have been so encouraging for you no i think actually my dad was probably quite realistic he'd been a journeyman jump jockey um and i don't think he was even that 
much you know that he never really pushed Ryan to do it at all um he actually did his started off doing his a levels loved his football you know it was only because he just looked like a, a huge talent that he then began it but my father never really even overly encouraged him Jamie was always very adamant he was going to be a jump jockey he hated going to school he'd do anything to you know just ride out school he loved it um and then Josh, I think, was always very set on being a jump jockey. He was a, a beautiful event rider, actually, as well. Always very good at um, producing horse over a fence. And, you know, obviously he's quite tall. So I think that all of us were never really pushed. We were um, encouraged. We were helped along the way. We had lots of riding lessons. We were very lucky. Um, our granddad would always buy us these cheap random ponies that needed breaking in that he'd picked up for a packet of polos as he'd say um so there was always a, a good challenge from you know what we were given um we certainly weren't given those lovely smart ready-made horses by any means but um I think that we were we were very lucky but it, it really was a case of you know doing it if you wanted to do it but we never um, were forced into doing it and it's funny that we've all followed in you know my, like you say my granddad's legacy really and you have a very successful broadcasting career now you were there on on derby day you're one of the firm names on, on sky sports racing you were there when it was all announced about here's our team um and so media and broadcasting is very much working out for you but th- is there we can't change the past we can only learn from what's gone before there's nothing that, that we can look back on and change are there ever times where you're at the races or ever times when you where you're in your dad's yard or at bally doyle maybe doing a, a feature and you look at racing from the side that you started with and think actually maybe I should have stuck at being a jockey or are you very, very happy to have gone down the route that you've done, which has led to the success that you have? Yeah, it's very tough to not want to be riding um, or be involved. I'm fortunate enough I still ride out in the mornings, but it's very hard even to be a part of a day at the races when you're not actually being out there riding or being involved in one of the horses because it's an addictive sport and I miss it like crazy but I needed to show that I was dedicated and taking it seriously and I needed to get my career going really um I've had some lovely days on the racetrack I've enjoyed it and it's difficult to split your time I think and be completely dedicated to one thing or another and I I needed to push and uh, really kind of improve I think on the way I was broadcasting and what I was doing on my presenting side of things and you know practice makes permanent but you never also stop learning at the same time but I do miss it and I I wouldn't say that I'd never go and do it again because that's the beauty of being an amateur and never being um, you know a fully fledged professional you can go on riding and I, I like to keep fit I've run a couple of marathons the last year I like keeping a target and something in my sights I'm not race riding but it it is very difficult and I'm lucky that I can still get up and ride out in the mornings but um racing there's something about it going out there and competing it's a buzz and an adrenaline rush you really can't get anywhere else whether it was booting one home in a local point to point which I was which I thoroughly enjoyed doing, or coming home in front um, at Ascot on King George Day, which are real fond memories. So um, I've 
travelled around the world riding in the Fajentry series. I've I've had a lot of fun being an amateur, but I miss it like crazy. But I think it's just you've got to show your dedication. And I wanted to do the presenting side of things. I wanted to get better. I still want to get better. Um, and if I can find a balance in the near future, then I, I definitely get back to doing it because I promise you, you can't get a fix like it, which is why I think people like um, Sir Anthony McCoy, they you know they never want to pack up, and when they do, it's it's quite miserable until you you get over it. You know, it takes time, but um, yeah, there's no greater buzz I think than race riding, and I could see why Hayley Turner got back to it because as much as she was involved as well in mainstream broadcasting you could you just can't replace being out there riding winners and you know she I think saw that she missed it she still had that ambition that drive to get back doing it and I could completely see why she walked away but then I could completely um, empathize with her as to why she got back out there and, and started right race riding again and the other thing is that people wanted her to ride for her like if you're not wanted in the sport anymore, if if trainers and owners don't want you involved, then that's a bad sign. But they wanted her to, to write for her. So that was an indication of the fact that they regard her talent very, very highly and were seeking her services. So it, it makes sense that, that she would go back. And particularly when you talk about that bug and that, that adrenaline. You mentioned Tony McCoy and Ruby Walsh. Your Twitter bio is is very interesting because what it says is, Health's a great treasure. It's the highest gift. It's the source of all happiness. Money can't buy happiness. Happiness is priceless and not dependent upon wealth. I Correct. wonder if you say that because, and it's because if you mentioned Tony McCoy, all the injuries that Ryan has suffered, Jamie, Joshua, you, uh, I'm sure your, your father's had, had injury. Your father had a horrific injury. Uh, not not yeah. so long ago as well, and thank God he's he's doing great now. Um, but we've seen horrific injuries in in racing, and and Ruby Walsh has just hung up the saddle, and, and in a way, National Hunt Racing will never be the same again. I don't get the same sense from Ruby that I get from from Tony. Tony seems like the kind of guy who would love to go and ride again tomorrow in JP Silks. Ruby, I think, is just glad he's away from it and got 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 away without. Um, a detrimental injury but there's no doubt that there have been long-term effects left on his body long-term effects left on on tony's body um is that something that, that you look at as well like have, have you suffered injuries and is that why that is your twitter bio yeah i think um no matter what happens in our sport in our game if you can't come away from it like you say in one piece at the end of the day then it's not you know it's not worth it is it to an extent but obviously there are some moments when things do go wrong I think Pat Smullen's probably a great advocate um, at the moment to kind of fly the flag and, and make you realize that even when he was immersed in some of the biggest days of his career he could come home and be really quite miserable but he's realized now that you know that it's all kind of irrelevant and that's why sadly he's not going to come back race riding because as much as a, a great buzz and a wonderful jockey he was, I mean, the amount of successes he rode, big successes, derby winners, uh, champion jockey in Ireland, he, you can't push aside your health and, and that is everything at the end of the day. And it is the rubbish side of our sport. And I, I do feel, you know, obviously always worried for any jockey that goes out there and, and faces big challenges that they do. And I just think 
people need to remember that it is a sport. It is meant to be fun. It is enjoyable. And I just think that, you know, sometimes you get a lot of people out there that are, are quite mean, quite nasty, quite angry. And it's just, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's it's meant to be entertainment. It's meant to be fun. If you haven't got your health 100 percent, then, you know, nothing else, nothing else really matters. And, you know, I'm think everyone should be very lucky if they are in one piece and remember that a lot of people are out there battling real life challenges every day and and that's what really counts so yes yeah, it's a bit of a, a funny status to have but um it's i think it's relevant in so many walks of life i don't think it's a funny status yeah. at all i think it's a it's a brilliant one particularly for somebody who is such at the center at the core of racing uh, and, I, and i think in some ways it sums up what we all think that you know when something bad happens whether it's an injury or an illness it puts things in perspective and you look at life very very differently and a horse getting beaten half a length really doesn't matter a whole lot when you're able to walk away pain-free or or do something that you enjoy doing or be with the people that you love that's really what it's more important about that being said though we better talk about the derby and uh, we better talk about Chris Hayes, who probably wasn't loving life straight away, even though he rode an absolute stormer. The 240th derby went again to Aidan O'Brien. He becomes the record-equaling seventh-time winning trainer of the race, but the first trainer to do so post-war. It's a phenomenal record that Aidan has built up. Um, Shami Heffernan, who has been a cornerstone of the Ballydoll operation for so, so long, deservedly gets his derby success on a horse that you quite fancied, actually, in Anthony Van Dyke. Uh, Mad Moon, I have to issue an apology to Kevin Prendergast. Turns out you can train horses to run well in the UK, Kevin. Apologies. <laughs> Mad Moon's run an absolute stormer for Chris Hayes. Japan uh, running a monstrous race, the 1.3 million euro purchase back in third. Broom, Sir Dragonet for Ryan, and then a few lengths back, four lengths back to Circus Maximus, a one, two, three, four, five, six for Ireland. The Sky Sports Racing cameras were watching Anthony Van Dyke on his seasonal comeback, and you were very taken with what he did at Linkfield. You were very taken on the day of the draw as well. You thought he would be the one. Um, how did you assess his performance, and how pleased were you with, with what he did? Yeah, it couldn't have worked out better, could it? I, I was, as you say, lucky enough to be at Lingfield um, for that derby trial. And the horse looked beautiful. He looked as though he'd probably come on for the run. But what I loved about him, he was down at the start on that occasion. And he looked so fresh and well. And you just never really see Aidan's horses misbehaving like that um, because they're so well-trained. They've got such good manners on them. But this horse just looked really happy and well in himself. Um, he had that question mark whether or not he would stay, especially after being such a, a precocious two-year-old and obviously the way that he's bred as well out of that um, Australian uh, super sprinting mare. So there were a few question marks, but he came out of the derby trial. He proved that he had the stamina. He came home really nicely. I interviewed my brother that day. He said he was you know, really happy with him, um, a great starting point. But you just knew he was going to come on leaps and bounds for that run. And I just thought Aiden would have him spot on for today. He would never leave a horse short. He'd never overdo them. He can get them to all peak so well on the day, which is why I always just try and put a always take the the trials with a pinch of salt with anything that Aiden's got obviously we didn't know how much the Dragonet was going to step forward but um when he got that 
stall as well. I thought, brilliant, what a great draw. Shamie Heffernan, well, no better man to have gone round um, in so many derbies, whether it was on the pacemaker. Obviously, you know, all these horses are doing their best, that's the thing, but he's a, a wonderful jockey and he's been in these situations plenty of times. He knows how to ride Epsom and he just produced this horse with a, a superbly well-timed ride and every decision he made was the right one as well and I just think the horse would have come into this race a absolutely spot on but be full of confidence and I just think the trial at Lingfield needs to really have a good push and a promotion back to that group three status because George Hill is the clerk of the course there he's doing a very very good job and he's cambered that bend at that that racetrack and the jockeys were really pleased with how it was riding they've gone in with the gps system and they've pushed out that bend so there's a cutaway as you come into the home straight and i just thought that horse has enjoyed coming down the hill here at lingfield i thought he'll do that in the derby so right very much after timing but yeah i was pretty confident that he was the horse the only question mark i had was with his stamina prove that for me at lingfield and He's just been given a, a great ride round. Everything, you know, he conserved his energy throughout the race. Um, and I just think that if he goes to the Irish Derby, he will obviously contend with horses that are going to step forward a lot from their recent runs, most notably Sir Dragon A, if that's what he does. But, um, yeah, a great ride. And um, just the only sad story was that he beat Mad Moon, who, for Kevin Prendergast, a welcome winner in the UK, but obviously a derby victory as well. It just, you know, it wouldn't have gotten any more special when someone is of his age to train a derby winner. What did Aidan say to you in, in your interview with him on course? He apologised um, for beating Kevin's horse. He was absolutely thrilled, but very sorry that he'd beaten Kevin's horse. He ran a great race in defeat. I think that just shows the mark of the man that Aidan O'Brien is to apologise. Because I think even Aidan, um, he was saying how he respects him and, and what a great trainer he is. And I just thought it just proves what an absolute gentleman Aidan O'Brien is to apologise to Kevin Prendergast, a man he respects for for beating him uh, in the derby. But I don't know, maybe in time that will be reversed and he'll he'll win the Irish derby. Not that it's ever quite the same as winning uh, at Epsom, but it's still equally uh, a special horse and a great train performance in second. Yeah, Jim Bulger all those years ago really did try to big up the Irish derby with the the comments he was making about new approach. And uh, I'm not going for you know there's more than one derby, don't you? Hey? You know, there's more than yeah. one derby. And uh, why, why can't you go for the Irish one? Only to turn around, run at Epsom and win. Um, it yeah. is really yeah. all about all about dar- the derby itself. Uh, and, and it's a measure of the man. Look, he's an absolute gentleman. We, we all know that. But what, a, what an amazing thing to say. And the thing is, he would have 100% meant it. Uh, in terms of the, the race itself and how it all panned out, Anthony Van Dyke was, Japan was slightly in front of him um, as he starts to make his move. And Anthony Van Dyke ends up getting switched to the inside under Shami, which I, th- I thought that was the key moment. That was the race-winning move. As the, the others started to come back, when Norway and Circus Maximus began to cry enough, uh, Donica and Ryan had to make their moves because they didn't want to get trapped with horses coming back at them. Uh, that meant that Chris Hayes had a gap that he had to go and take, but it also meant that that gap opened up for Anthony Van Dyke. And that probably may have ended up being the crucial thing. I know Aidan was saying afterwards that he doesn't 
really want to think of it that way because the horses who came down the outside like Kew Gardens and Pink Dogwood were beaten but Anthony Van Dyke flies up the inside and ends up winning did that have a, a, an impact on the race do you think and and Wayne Lorden dropping his whip did, did that have any kind of a of an impact on the end result or was it just that on the day the best horse won yeah it might it might well have done um but I just think the way that he's finished so strongly, it, there wasn't a lot in it, was there? But he's just, I think everything's just worked out so smoothly. And then when you've got that camber, um, it's to ask a horse to accelerate on a camber like that, it's not easy. And you could just see that he had a nice clear gap to move through. It was a really good decision made by Shamey. And I just think that he was able to push through slightly sort of intimidated the horses on his inside. But once he got that rail um, and you could argue that that fresh strip of ground as well, because they, they moved the rail out to the course proper for um, the second day of the two days. And it, it is a, a better place to be coming down that inside. So I, I just think that the way the race has unfolded um, it's just worked perfectly into the hands of, of Shamie Heffernan on, on Anthony Van Dyke. The two days are quite different, aren't they? On the Oaks Day, you've got that rail pushed out so they come a bit more down the centre, whereas uh, on the Derby itself, you can roll down um, that camber and be saving the ground as best as you can because you can nip round the inside. But, I mean, he had a lot of luck on his side and uh, I just think that, yeah, maybe dropping a whip can be detrimental, but... At the end of the day, if a horse is going well enough to really hold his position and, and draw clear and quicken up the way Anthony Van Dyke did, then probably the best horse on the day. There's excellent section analysis, as you would imagine, from Simon Rollins. Kevin has written a detailed article as well on attheraces.com, which I would highly recommend uh, that you read. Kevin's not dead, by the way. He will be back on the podcast soon. <laughs> He's just up the walls. Don't freak out. He'll be back. It's okay. Uh, Mad Moon, um, as you were talking about, and, and then possibly clashing in the Irish Derby. To me, he stayed. I wouldn't have any fears of him going to, to the Curra. But will he ultimately fall between two stools? Would he be better at 10 furlongs? Yeah, I think he might well be. But he, you've got to remember as well, there was that moment he kind of lost his footing a little bit. So if anything... Um, whether or not it's because he clipped heels and just nearly had a, a like a salian moment, like horses can do around Epsom. Uh, going to the car, the beauty of that that track is it's such a beautiful place to ride. You've, and like you say, you've got that uphill finish there where things are just a lot less complicated. So, yeah, things can go a lot smoother. He can be more economical. He won't have that moment of losing his his footing then that half a length that he's missed out on on this occasion well that could very quickly be rectified in in the Irish derby absolutely Royal Ascot will almost certainly come into contention for a lot of Aiden sources whether it's going to be the Queen's Vaz or the King of the Seventh um, that was muted by some for Japan I don't know if they would run him in that race I think they this is a proper horse on the basis of what we've seen. So he was very much nursed in the Dante. I couldn't have him on my mind mm. for the Derby. I didn't understand why he was... Yeah, that's at, why you've got to take the trials with a pinch of salt. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so before the race, I uh, Japan was a shorter price than Circus Maximus. That turned around uh, as the race went off and I was wrong. And uh, those who were supporting Japan were absolutely right. He's clearly got a very bright future if he can build on this um 
he does look like a proper middle distance horse to me and, and something like the Irish Derby or the Grand Prix de Paris the Kew Gardens went for um, mm. maybe for him Broom looks an out and out St. Ledger horse in my mind yeah I think he would absolutely relish um, being up at, at Doncaster just because of the way he just takes that bit of time to get stoked up keeps finding keeps finding and once he's got this momentum gathered up um, and he he gave a fair bit of ground away as well, didn't he? Mm. Um, and yeah, but at least he was able to keep going. I think it was a good bit of riding on board Broom because he, you just know that he's a horse. You don't want your momentum checked because he takes too long to get going. And um, and then I just think that um, he would be a horse that would absolutely relish um, going round at Doncaster. Nice long straight as well. And um, I just think that he'll be a horse that will absolutely be very competitive come the end of the year. Yeah, he'd be an exciting horse to grab a price at now for uh, for the ledger. I think the price I saw somewhere was six to one or seven to one. I'll take that, please. Thank you very, very much. Mm. He would take the world of beating there. Sir Dragonet. So while everyone's talking about Camelot... Um, Apologies. While everyone's talking about Galileo being this incredible superstar, and undeniably he is, uh, moment of credit for Sadler as well, please, who is responsible for pretty much everything that's running in the race. In fact, he is responsible for everything that's running in the race. We have Manju, his son, uh, who produces Camelot, who produces Sir Dragon A. Manju was, uh, was a quirky sort. Camelot was very talented, but but could get worked up. Sir Dragonet had an awful lot going against him. He had so much inexperience. And he's run an absolutely monstrous race. At one stage, it looks as though he comes there with Ryan swinging on the bridle and you think he's going to get it. But he just starts to edge left at the two furlong marker. And that's when things start to get a little bit difficult for him. But he's a horse with a bright future. Oh, without a doubt. He was the horse as soon as I went past the line and thought I'd take him out of the race because so many different things. His inexperience, the quirkiness of the track, um, grounded, we hadn't seen him race on, the way he's been banged out in a very short period of time as well. Um, he's a horse that is incredibly exciting, especially with his inexperience. So... You could see why Connections um, put him into the race after that chest of ours performance. He was quite uh, green in the preliminaries on on that occasion. I remember him winning around the parade ring, but still a nice, cool, relaxed and calm customer, which was the case at Epsom. Um, he's just learning so much all the time. There's huge class there, the way he's travelled into the race. And um, I just think next time out, whatever decision they make with him, he's a horse that's going to come on so much from from this uh, this derby. And you talked about the the unique test that Epsom is at the start of the podcast, and it's something that we've talked about quite a, quite a bit on the show. Um, I remember walking it last year and almost being in disbelief that you know, how the hell could an athlete could could a, an equine athlete who's carrying a jockey turn around at speed and manage to go and accelerate and win here? Like it's going to take something special to go and do that. So. When you, you, you look back at the race and, you, and you're, you know, everything is, is great in hindsight, Anthony van Dyke has, has clearly shown um, huge progress from being a very precocious juvenile who ended up going to the Breeders' Cup where things didn't go quite to plan, but his form last season was very, very good. Roy DeLarge is far too humble to admit it, but at the start of the season on the podcast, this was his derby selection. 
and he was a nice price at the time so hopefully Final Furlong Podcast listeners got on I did not foolishly I ignored <laughs> his advice and uh, and backed Circus Maximus who ended up being fairly well held in sixth and would probably be more of a, of a Royal Ascot contender but as these horses move on um Aiden was at pains, and, and uh, so too was Michael Zaber, at pains to talk about the importance of the Derby and its test. And there's the famous quote at Coolmore Stud about that there's only one winning post that matters, and that's the Derby post at Epsom. What is it about the race that makes it so important to breeders? Because we're, we had the French Derby the next day, and famously, French authorities came to the decision to reduce that to a 10 furlong race. And it seemed as though we were going down the route of speed more than anything else in the breed but commercially and i know some have gone on to be dual purpose stallions like poor moi but when it comes to being a successful commercial stallion winning the derby assures your place there you're almost certain to to be its thought why is it that epsom is so key to the breed and so key to the industry it goes right to the start i think um you've got to handle the preliminaries um you see a lot of horses get worked up sweaty um, getting overwhelmed by all of the crowds, what's going on. You've got a fun fair in the middle of it. Um, there's a big crowd. There's so much noise. There's the loudspeakers. There's so much going on. And then you've got sometimes when the wind's up, there's just so many things to overcome when it it entails going to Epsom. It's, it's just right from the get-go, right when you arrive at the track and you walk up to get saddled up. Aiden's got his routine of saddling them in the parade ring on the grass out, you know, so everyone can watch, but more to keep the horses relaxed, uh, more importantly. Um, so you've got to have the, the right horse that handles the big day, that conserves his energy. Then you've got the ordeal of getting them to the mile and a half start, which again, is a long way um, for jockey, for horse, and you want them to be relaxed, switch off again, not um, get too warm, not overheat, not sweat, uh, not you know, be, they've got to be conservative again with their energy. Then they've got the process of loading up into stall. There's so many elements. Then they've got to prove that they can be relaxed, they can switch off. Um, then they've got to prove that they've got speed they've got stamina they need the speed to get out of difficult situations they need the stamina they need to be able to show that they can travel through a race and they've got to show their balance then they've got to show their will to win the fight there's so many things that ingredients that go into winning a derby right from the moment they travel over and, and these horses are traveling over from Ireland or whether it be Paul Moir from France and even more respect when horses travel it's not like they've come um you know, 10 minutes down the road or anything like that if anything if you were based at Epsom you should have a huge advantage just boxing them up to to cross over or not even need to box them up, just lead them up to the racetrack but there's just so many ingredients that go in to a derby um, obviously speed and stamina and then you need the luck that it's only going to create and make a wonderful racehorse even getting a place in a derby is is something to admire especially you know obviously there's no standout superstar at this moment in time it was quite an open looking derby as well and the way they finish suggests that you know there isn't quite a, a frankel lurking there at the moment but obviously time will tell and I just think it, it means that everyone appreciates, everyone knows that there are so many things that can go wrong if you can be competitive 
in the derby, and it is the derby. It doesn't need to be named anything in particular. Because this is this is the the one that has that everyone else replicates. Then it, you've got everything that you need in a racehorse, um, whether they be big, small, um, long in the back, short coupled, whatever it is. If they've they've got the heart and lungs and all the balance and the will to win a derby, then you've got a wonderful stallion prospect. What nicely done, by the way, <laughs> very very nicely done. Uh, and Tony Coleman has now just boosted you to the top of his Twitter list because he hates. He's a long-term listener to the podcast, a racing great, and he hates anybody who says Epsom Derby or Ascot Gold Cup. He's like, it's the Gold yeah. Cup. It's the Derby. Cop on. Yeah. And he's right. True. And he's been naming and shaming famous publications <laughs> for doing so as well. I've had it in my head for the last couple of weeks. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, in terms of those who were, who were beaten coming in, Line of Duty got the better of Anthony Van Dyke due to circumstances, I would think, at the Breeders' Cup last year. Um, he sweated up and race was gone probably beforehand. But more importantly, Telecaster. Uh, Bangkok came in mm. for support. We didn't really like him, but we did like Telecaster. He was very much on his toes and very sweating and... and as you talk about the occasion, it must have been a bit of a nightmare for Oshin Murphy. Yeah, I saw him in the um, the parade ring. I was lucky enough to go up and have a look at him. And to me, my my first reaction was, yes, it's a hot day, but he did look like he was on his toes. He did look very warm. Um, he didn't blow his head or anything. He had the earplugs in that were, were taken out at the start. Um, but to me, he's a horse that's had a good few quick runs. And he just was a little bit on it. And all those things I was just saying about what makes a good horse beforehand. He did get a bit warm. He did exert a little bit too much energy because he was on his toes. In my opinion, um, Ashin might think completely different. And then in the race, I thought he was just a little bit too on it um, to be lasting out and, and coming home in front. So it was difficult that um, he's had to have those quick runs all together and but look you can't blame the connections and fair play to them uh, for supplementing him it was probably just a race that was too quick after the Dante and in the end the horse hasn't been able to to turn up at, at instead of the way you've got Anthony Van Dyke peaking on the day this horse has flattened out on the day and he has got worked up and I, I did think that Bangkok was the other one that stood out I mean it's difficult and when you're watching seven Aidan O'Brien horses walk around the parade ring like the ultimate professionals, the way that, that, that the whole team conduct the horses is just phenomenal. So then when you do see a Telecaster in a Bangkok, who are only slightly on their toes, it makes you look at them and think, oh, my word, look at them. You know, look how naughty they are when they're not doing anything wrong on a normal Tuesday afternoon if you're at you know your local track but because they are all walking around so quietly you you are drawn to their attention but I, I remember lots of Aidan O'Brien horses quite freely sweating sweating that's quite a trait of Galileo isn't it they get quite yep. warm but they're still quite laid back with it I remember Frank used to get very sweaty but he was still laid back with it but they were the two standouts and I just think at a lesser occasion um, you know there'll be other days for, for both Bangkok and Telecaster but unfortunately um, the derby wasn't for them this year well done to the connections for rolling the dice as you said there is only one yeah. derby and if you're not there then they would be kicking themselves if they hadn't turned up at least you know and you'll get another chance uh, and no better man than Huey Morrison to do so um, there's always new information 
new evidence, as Kevin would say, coming from from racing. And as you say, we always want to better ourselves as, as presenters, but also as we learn about the game. And trying to get an insight into Belly Doyle and the inner workings of the art, there has often been said that they don't choose, they're told. Something was very interesting that was said in another Aidan O'Brien interview, which was that Ryan had a very difficult choice to make. And once Sir Dragon was declared, then he had to pick him which indicates that Ryan actually had the choice here. So was there ever a point where you were tempted to FaceTime him and go, you idiot, I'm telling you, Anthony Van Dyke's going to win. Uh, and is that the case? Like in, in terms of, I don't want you to give away all of the secrets, give us away as much information as you possibly can, Haley. But <laughs> is it a case of that um, the team, the lads, Aiden and the lads tell Ryan and Shamey and Donica who to ride or is it up to Ryan to decide who he'd like to be on? No, I think it's down to um, uh, the the lads as they're often referred to and um, the owners that have a discussion and, and they make the decisions as to um, what ultimately happens in discussion. It's very much like a, a group decision. Um, obviously, Ryan had never sat on Sir Dragon A but he had the opportunity to get on this vastly fast progressing um, sleeper in the yard that was putting everything out on the track and and showing himself to be brilliant so how can you not um, be taken by a horse like that um, personally I maybe it just shows my character I'd play it safe and go with the horse that's got the the proven you know that what you actually know you've got um, with Anthony Van Dyke and he was more of a, a proven horse whereas Sir Dragonet was the the riskier type and that's probably why they're leading jockeys um, especially Ryan in the fact that he did choose Sir Dragonet he took the risk of a horse that is impressing and quickening up all the time and and showing that he's really a horse that has a lot of ability so take the risk and ride him on the big day why wouldn't you um because you don't know and that was the beauty of coming into the derby none of us knew um a lot of these horses i just thought anthony van dyke was a horse that had some solid form in the book and you know he was a horse that would have been a safe option i suppose especially when the draw came out i do think it's important and it was a lovely draw and i just thought yeah he's he's the one but no i think it's very much a discussion um and it, there's unless there's a real strong opinion i think it's all quite um harmonious and everyone just discusses it amongst them they're a real team effort team players and and that's what it is all about is, is getting on the, the right horse on the day but we know all the time that that isn't the case so i think you've always got to go with what what you see what you feel and maybe not get too worked up in the jockey bookings for the big races because you know they're all going to peak on those big days and and that's when you want to get it right so um yeah I think we get carried away a little bit with jockey bookings sometimes and I think you just got to remember what you've seen and what you've judged and and keep keep to that because it's it's a game of opinions and that's what we love about horse racing it is literally a game of opinions we have the opportunity to put our money where our mouth is and that's one of the great things about the sport um in terms of where these horses go from here defeat in the derby as we've seen many times over the years does not preclude you from being a superstar so we know that anthony van dyke has already got his his stallion career sealed um his juvenile form was excellent he's a derby winner of the rest, who are you 
particularly excited about going forward? I think um, it's going to have to be Mad Moon's proven that he can stay and stay incredibly well after a good run uh, in the Guineas when we knew that that was an insufficient trip. Um, Japan, he's got back in the groove of things. I'd love to see him um, step forward. Uh, maybe, like you say, Royal Ascot, maybe a, a ledger horse. Um, but it would have to be Sir Dragone. The fact that he's gone out there on his his third start and been involved in what was a thrilling finish. Um, he's come quite wide as well. He's proven himself to be versatile, to run well on quick ground coming down a hill. I just think he's the horse to take from the race. So, yeah, I suppose ultimately it's Sir Dragone. And it was proper good to firm ground on the day and the official time was fast. I implore you, uh, as if you needed to, seeing as he tipped a massive prized winner at the weekend as well for atheraces.com. Simon Rowland's sectional analysis is excellent and um, you really, really should be taking a look at that with a view to the future. The Phillies Classic saw a first British Classic success for Frankel in Annapurna. Uh, with Pink Dogwood running a storming race to be second for Ryan uh, and Fleeting, who was also put up in the podcast by Roy Delargy, running a monstrous race uh, to get up for third. Annapurna, John Gosden, Frankie Littori back in the winner's enclosure. They've got some partnership and they've got a, a very, very talented filly here, uh, beautifully bred. Interestingly enough, Northern Dancer top and bottom. So by Frankel out of a Mange du Mer dash to the top. But she was given a very tactically astute ride I, I would say she's conserved all all the energy whereas Ryan has found himself in a situation where he's had to be he's had to go on the outside um, on what I'm sure is the better horse in the race and there's that pesky Frankie Dettori coming up the rail uh, to uh, to nab him at the line yeah very much the case wasn't it, it looked as though he was at home and hose but Anna Purna has seen out the trip incredibly well um, once Frankie Dettori got her going and she stuck her neck out so gamely. She really did battle on. And this, again, a, a filly that has improved at a huge rate of knots. Um, I was at Lingfield on both her starts, actually, when Kieran O'Neill won her on the all-weather, which was a bit of a surprise that day. And then when Frankie won the Oaks trial on her at Lingfield as well. And she still looked quite green on that occasion. She still looked as though she needed to learn. But my word, what a trainer John Gosden is because um, she stepped forward and proved that she was good enough to win an Oaks. So um, like you say, I thought Pink Dogwood had gone there to win her race. And the way that Frankie Tory has then gone after um, Ryan and that horse has got going she has I think outstayed Pink Dogwood in the in the closing stages so um, it'll be interesting to see whether or not she will come back a couple of furlongs Pink Dogwood in time but um, Annapurna has just had a wonderful um, performance on the day and a filly that has stepped up on the big occasion like I could not believe to be honest with you. The time was a couple of seconds slower than the Coronation Cup, but the team at Lingfield must be ecstatic because the Sky Sports racing cameras have caught not just the Derby winner, but the Oaks winner as well. They've both won their respective trials there. And you were talking about how Lingfield should be getting more credit and the race should be given that, that Group 2 status again. Like, trainers are choosing these races for a reason. Kew Gardens ran in the race last year 
and Michael Tabor, I know he didn't perform in the derby, but Michael Tabor was really talking up Kew Gardens as being the middle distance horse for, for Bally Doyle with the exception of um, Saxon Warrior and look how that turned out in the end. Uh, and Michael Buckley was putting up uh, main Coolmore man w- was putting up uh, Anthony Van Dyke this year. So for whatever reason, whether it's an influence from Ryan or Kieran Fallon's days, Lingfield has very much come onto the radar of Bally Doyle and it's obviously very much on the radar for John Gosden as well. And um, it's paying dividends. Yeah, without a doubt. No, I think it's Aidan's decisions to run horses um, at Lingfield because you don't see Ryan jumping on too many horses around Lingfield when it is a, a very local track, of course. So I think it's it's very much the decision um, of Aidan where he runs these horses for the trial. And um, obviously that, that was timing-wise worked out beautifully. And like you say, was the case for um, Annapurna. And I spoke to John Gosden before the trial, actually, and he was very much in the case of we don't know um, about either of our runners here. And he was very kind of like, we'll we'll learn a lot from um, today. And then when it, it came to um, the performance that Annapurna was able to give, well, it was obviously very um, smart indeed in the way she drew clear it was incredibly impressive um we had i think it was ella Sheba was in uh, in that race as well and and uh, john gosden really didn't know how much of a, a step forward and it was all an educational john gosden's pair had gone round together but the money came for annapurna and she was you know, she was such an impressive winner from torteki um and she did it so well but she still she still never really had a battle on her hands. And I think that she was just a very unfurnished filly and um, quite a, a filly that needed to that needed time still. And so for her to go and win an Oaks, I, I think she could be a very exciting filly um, going forward for the rest of the season. Like, I was so impressed with her, I think, because I saw her at Lingfield, saw her at Epsom, uh, sorry, saw both runs at Lingfield and coming into Epsom, I, I thought, no, you're still a bit too unfurnished for me. But she stepped forward, leaps and bounds. The race worked out beautifully. And Frankie, as usual, timed it to perfection. So I think even Frankie went into um, the Oaks thinking, yeah, I'm on a nice filly, but no pressure. Um, you know, this is the from what we'd seen at, at Chester from um Meda year that that was the the one that they all had to beat and unfortunately things couldn't have gone uh, more wrong for her in the race but maybe she wasn't good enough if you get hampered like that it's because you're not good enough to hold your position so um, if you're not traveling well enough sometimes things are are more complicated for you but equally she was a a bit luckless as well yeah she didn't have much room at, at all are you inclined to think so that she didn't have the pace to get herself out of trouble um, well, she'd been a, a little bit keen early on. And then um, when you get, you know, you can be a little bit unlucky. And then I was waiting for her to just kick on under Rab. Because I'd seen it. I was really watching her throughout the race on first impressions because I thought she was the one that they all had to be. And, um, you know, she didn't have much luck, didn't have much luck. And then you just think, well, maybe you're not good enough to be there if you're if you're getting slammed like that and you're not able to hold your ground when you've had horses traveling very strongly around her but she was incredibly unlucky um, at the same time so unfortunately who knows with her it's a real um, 
disappointment, I think, because it was lovely that Rab Havlin was able to continue the partnership with the filly. And, you know, she had a lively chance. At, who, no one ever resents Frankie having a an Oaks winner because he's, he's the life and soul of the, the party, isn't he? But um, I think it would have been great to have seen uh, Rab Havlin you know, be on the right one and, and win a classic. Yeah, big time. And almost a similar situation to Shami Heffernan at Belly Doyle. You know, the work that mm. Rab has done for John Gosden, you would be delighted to see him succeed. But it's Frankie again, uh, a fantastic Friday for Frankie. And he is just a, a brilliant character. I did quite like that interview he gave recently where he said he might he might prolong his writing career to get to compete against his son, uh, which would be interesting. He obviously got to write against his father. So we'll see how that plays out. It's going to be a bit of a break for Annapurna now, and it looks as though France is on the agenda for her later in the season. Um, she's done a lot of things very, very quickly. Before I move on to Pink Dogwood, she had two runs on the all-weather as a, as a younger horse, and this is becoming a trend with John Gosden. He is introducing horses on the all-weather or giving them experience in the all-weather. He's really maximizing um, the all-weather facilities where you can take a horse out and not be worried about the ground of conditions. You're, you don't have to be worried that it's going to be too fast. Don't have to be worried that it's going to be too heavy. He very much embraces that and has produced many a classic winner by doing so as well, which is another example of the brilliance of John Gosden, but also how both he and Aidan O'Brien evolve as trainers and continue to learn. And what he did with his with his groom afterwards, I think, got a, a lot of attention, a lot of smiles. Aiden, to be fair, did the same thing with with his his groom too, but the um, the the celebration he had with them and the recognition that he was giving uh, the groom of Annapurna was was a lovely sight to see on such a big day. But it is interesting that John Gosden is is embracing all weather racing and and very much utilizing that to develop horses who will then go on and be classic contenders. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it is funny. I was I was there, like you say, when Annapurna rocked up to to Lingfield, and you're watching her on a you know a pretty cold and wet Lingfield afternoon in the middle of January, and you're trying to interview Kieran O'Neill and, and get a, a bit of a grasp on what we've just witnessed here. You know, a very green looking maiden winner, um, but is she something special? And yeah, it's a great uh, environment, isn't it, that he's choosing to get them out there. And it was the same with the naval, of course, going up to Newcastle. So yep. it is it is incredibly exciting when you do see now um, a five-length winner. But, I mean, even she looked so green on that occasion back in January. So, um, I, like I say, I never saw it. But now that that's one of the routes that he uses, a, a kind surface as well um, to get there their experience well it's always a good guessing game it will always keep us interested on those quiet Lingfield afternoons yeah it makes it makes it obvious that you need to be really paying attention to those races because you never quite know what's going to happen uh that would have been at the races it would have switched to Sky Sports Racing by the time January came along when she won she was beaten 17 lengths talk about a back-end maiden like we we watch for back-end maidens at the Curra and at Leopardstown because you're always interested to see does Mick Halford, does Aidan O'Brien, does Jim Bolger have something that's had an injury and they just want to get a little bit of experience in? Back end maiden, 27th of December, she makes her debut, gets thrashed 17 lengths. Fast forward a few months, she's a classic winner by Frankel and is priceless. Um, history made and, uh, and no better man to do it. No better man to, to ride the winner as well. In terms of Pink Dogwood, uh, the current next for her, she won't face Annapurna there. So that immediately makes things slightly easier for her. I think 
ultimately she'll end up being the better of the two and um, you'd like to think they'll keep her in training next year daughter of Camelot uh, out of Sharmadal Mayor question times she'll take the world of beating at the Curra. yeah I think that's um, a, f- a fairly straightforward task isn't it going back to the Curra and a trip that she'll excel at as well um, she looked incredibly stunning. It was the first time I got to see her. Um, a very furnished, strong, powerful individual. There were two standouts in the race, um, Pink Dogwood and Maxad. They were the two that you went, wow, what lovely, big, strong fillies they were. Um, so if anything as well, with Pink Dogwood, it wouldn't be a huge surprise if um, she is a little bit better with maybe um, a bit of ease in the ground. Obviously, she's got that winning form on softer conditions and being such a big, strong individual with that drying ground, even though it was uh, good ground, I think, on the Friday, maybe she would be, if there is any rain about, if we ever see any rain over here, um, it's been very dry down south. Um, you know, obviously over in Ireland, a lot more chances that she will get the ground conditions that she'll probably excel on. So, um, yeah, she's quite a, a strong shouldery type and, I think that she's, um, like you say, a beautiful individual, but there'll be more to come from her going forward. There certainly will. They've got older mares in training as well, so they have options, but the pretty Polly at the Curra could be something that they look at as well, but maybe they'll they'll want to aim one of the, the older fillies who remains in training at, at that. Um, we shall see. She's a fascinating horse, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if it's the... Irish Oaks, Yorkshire Oaks double that they go for next with, with her and, and hopefully keep her in training next year because they're, she's an exciting horse, but you'd love to see her take on Annapurna again. Uh, but prior to that, uh, Kew Gardens, again by Galileo, gets beaten by a horse that if you had given me until Sunday, I wouldn't have packed, uh, wouldn't have backed. Defoe, we were saying on the podcast actually, is, ah, well, he's fairly exposed. We can move on from him now. Um, to be fair to Andrea Tini and Roger Varian, he's run an absolute stormer. He he's Again, he's come through the inner. Kew Gardens has found himself on the outside. Salawan ends up being well held, but he's actually run a great race um, after that monster effort that he had last year, uh, being being second to the superstar Cracksman. Um, he's done his, his connections very proud, but it's Defoe's day. They gelded him over the winter and Roger Varian has eaten group one out of him uh, he promised it before I thought it was that opportunity was long long gone but he's delivered yeah he got into very much peak on the day didn't he and it was um, a, the beginning of the domination of the Italians every single um, big race that we're looking at has been won by an Italian jockey um, from uh, Andrea uh, to, of course, uh, apart, apart from Shami Heffernan, of course, who flies oh, the oh flag no, Shami Heffernan, Shami Heffernan, famously yeah. Italian. Fa, fa, yeah. <laughs> Apart from uh, Shami, definitely. Although I did, there was a lovely Trinidad, um, a Trinidad reporter over, because obviously the, the Derby's covered so internationally, who did ask me if Shami Heffernan was German. I said, no, it's definitely <laughs> Irish. But, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that did make me laugh at the time as well. So, <laughs> I had to tell him no. Yeah, it definitely not. Oh, you should um, have said yes. Irish. You should so. have said good yes. time. Yeah, yeah. It could, Trinidad newspaper. Um, Nine Miller. He Jeez. could have been writing German domination in the derby. But, oh my god! But no. Apart from shame, it was an Italian domination. I have to say as well, Andrea just managed to come home in front very impressively the race beforehand on the the lovely gossiping for my dad which I was thrilled about from the front and then a massive change of tactics from Defoe after he 
left the stalls very slowly. He had to be pushed along. He couldn't even lay up with the early pace. And they didn't go flat out, as you imagined they were going to do beforehand. I thought, yeah, there'll be plenty of pace on here. Um, but they, the difference was, I think, which really helped Defoe was they kicked on quite early on that Friday. Again, talking about the rail movement, they're pushed out, they get rolling down that hill. So these horses are asked to exert themselves from quite a long way out. And, um, you know, the the first two that were past the post were the, the last two. So that for me, he just lacked that last bit of kick, Kew Gardens, that Defoe had. Defoe was able to just find a little bit more boot and um, Kew Gardens couldn't quite, obviously, form a ledger winner, even though they had got racing early, didn't have the extra gear that Defoe had. Roger Varian had trained him to absolutely peak today, the five-year-old than the better of the four-year-old on level weight. So great training performance and a a brave ride as well from Andrea, who was um, riding high in confidence from um, the race before. But a couple of negatives, I thought old Persian looked very warm beforehand, talking about all those little attributes that are so important at Epsom. He, he was hot and it was cold on the, the Friday, I thought, wearing a dress. Um, and he was poorly drawn in, in stall one. Um, so I just think that you could write him off from an early stage and then he got the bump as well in the race, which wouldn't have helped. So um, I'm not sure whether or not he'll come out again and, and be competitive on another occasion. But things just, I think, went against him on that day. And Lati Dar ran mm. a miserable race. Mm. Yeah, she was... Uh, it, he's disappointing being sent off 11 to 4 favourite as well um, Frankie de Tori there was big hopes expectations and especially when you see what she offered um, the start before at York you know you thought she was going to come back and thrive over this trip having won over um, a mile two and a half it was it was disappointing um, whether or not from this bunch we've got anything to challenge the likes of Enable, Sea of Class, I really don't think so. I think these were not as good as what we've got out there. And I think, you know, I think it would have been a, a penalty kick for the, the absolute queen that is Enable. Um, maybe some uh, Gold Cup clues, possibly. Um, the likes of Marmello, who was up there on quick ground, inadequate trip. Um, Kew Gardens, whether or not he'll go to Ascot. Uh, King George for Defoe or him heading off to the Hardwick, I think would probably be ideal. I mean, he was poorly joy. He was just given such a, a great ride and he's just saved ground the whole way round Andrea and he went through those gaps because he was he was going well enough and he just had that turn of turn of foot that you want. So it was a it was a great race, good group one. What will come out of it? not overly convinced to be honest with you yeah neither am I I thought this was a really good opportunity for Kew Gardens and it may very well be that there's still a little bit more to be done with him that that, that he wasn't completely wound up because he was you know well stuffed at Chester and he was going to have to come on a long way he's completely turned form around with Mirando he's miles in front of him but when you look back at how things developed from last year. It took him a while to get going. Beating the Lingfield when things went wrong, the shoes came off. Uh, there, he's been thrashed in the Derby, but then you had Royal Ascot where he wins the Grand Prix de Paris and you ultimately end up with a, a St. Ledger victory and an honourable enough run in, in an arc. I wouldn't be surprised if he's capable of winning a middle distance Group 1 this year, but 
it would have to be a middle distance group one where enable does not turn up or magical his stable companion or sea of class doesn't turn up because they on their form are are exceptional what was the was there any talk about enable on the day was from john gaston because she's been moved again we had the intended target being the coronation cup that was then switched to royal ascot now switched to the eclipse that doesn't encourage me in the slightest no he was quite laid back and casual about it just the fact that she wasn't ready yet and he thought it was um too big a task for her to come out and run uh, at epsom and then he still wasn't completely convinced with her um to go to royal ascot and the bigger targets are at the back end of the year and obviously that's what happened last year she was out late and she still prevailed so i I just don't think they're in a rush with her making the end of season targets you know that that's the peak when he wants her at her best so i don't know i just think he's he seemed very laid back about it and just said no not not ready yet don't want to rush her so you can't ever knock anything that that man does so i'm sure he'll have a spot on but no i wouldn't be fearful at all i think roll on sand down and then um, let's go and see if she can uh, make history yeah coral eclipse is going to be interesting but it is going to be all about that date with destiny as she bids for history in the Predal Arc de Triomphe, which will be live on Sky Sports Racing. That brings us nicely along to the final race, Haley. You're in the final stretch. <laughs> as we go to France and Chanty, the Pre de Jockey Club, slight upset, I would say, is the 13 to 1 shot for Jean Claude Rougier and Christian de Mourmeau uh, Sotas gets the better of Persian King, um, who Andre Fab afterwards was fairly insistent didn't see out the trip. Um, but let's give full props to Sotas, first of all, who was just sensational. Yeah, a horse that absolutely things went beautifully throughout the race and another training performance from Jean-Claude Rouget to win a race that he completely dominates in. Um, This was a horse that was given a a perfect ride and you could just see that... um, he was always quite happy, Christian de Moro, just to be taking his time. And I, I thought a really confident ride as well. Mm. Um, but I mean, I suppose you would be if you're, you're teaming up. It's a new kind of combination that he's got, the backing of Jean-Claude Rouget. He wasn't even going to be riding the horse in the week. It was, of course, the mount of Christophe Sumion. So he got um, the, a last minute call up, which is obviously great news. Um, and he was just just timed it to perfection really but it just seemed to be very much on the right horse so I just think that he was the horse that was at the end of the day just far too good and I must admit Persian King the horse's form coming into the race was brilliant and a deserved favourite but he was just everything worked out on this occasion um I know I had seen, there was a, a few people, Lauren Barberon, of course, from Sky, the French expert. He was quite keen to take on uh, the favourite. So fair play to him because, you know, I wouldn't have thought that Persian King was going to be able to be beaten coming into the race um, with some of his form. Um, but he he did. He was keen to, to get the horse beat. Didn't quite get uh, the right one. But I think he was worried about... Um, you know certain certain things that might be against him, and um, he he also gave up Maris a good shout. He was like twelve to one in in third. So um, no, I, I just think that it was 
disappointing that Persian King couldn't uphold his terrific form, but well done to that man again, Jean-Claude Rouget. He's just far too good. Third win in the French Derby in four years, which is some record to be proud of. Uh, Persian King was bidding to do what Shamadal had done for Godolphin in the side bin Saror domination days when he was fully in charge and uh, follow up with 2000 guineas win in France with the French Derby. As you said, it wasn't to be. That decision to switch to 10 furlongs has attracted interesting horses over the years. Uh, it's also meant that poor Moore was transferred to Epsom instead and, and would go for the Derby, uh, whereas he may very well have stayed in his native France had it still been a 12 furlong race. It's, it's an interesting experiment and we'll see how much longer the French authorities can decide to persist with this or if they change things. It's very, very difficult at this stage to try and make a comparison between what we've seen in the Derby, particularly when it's a blanket finish, and there are a lot of blank canvases, there are horses who are going to improve. And the same can be said here. The one thing that you'd be somewhat confident about saying is that Persian King will definitely be better coming back in distance. Um, but if you were to compare them, I guess when you're you're looking for the next target for these horses, you're looking for, for Persian King to come over for Royal Ascot may very well be too soon, which would be a real shame. But Goodwood for the Sussex Stakes, uh, the Prix de mm. Moulin, something along those lines where eventually he will have to take on Magna Grecia, Phoenix of Spain, you know, those kind of, that's really what you're looking for. That's what you, you want to see him, him meet a horse like Too Darn Hot and, and let's see them all fire on the day and hopefully produce a great race. Yeah, I think that's absolutely um, spot on. And we've seen how well the French come over, especially when they do drop their horses back down in in memories of the Queen Anne domination. And I just think that that will probably be the right move for for Persian King. It's as if he just couldn't quite um, see it out. And obviously, Andre Farb was well represented on the day and... I just think that um, Sotsas did it so easy. It was um, a great performance. He'd stepped up on what he'd done with, I think, ground with ease in it. And he just seemed to um, be very much the best. As he cruised past him, you could see that um, the Italian, Christian Demore, was incredibly confident. And, um, well, he continued the Italian domination. Um, obviously, Cape of Good Hope represented Aidan O'Brien and, and Ryan Moore and, Maybe he's a horse in time that will get going. He stayed on and um, hopefully he'll be as good one day as his his brother Highland Real. He may end up being as good as his brother Idaho, (laughs) which would be a shame. He'd get a hard stakes out of it and and I'd take that if he was to go and do that. But uh, one of my favourite horses is Highland Real and if he can follow in his illustrious brother's footsteps, I will be most, most pleased. His, His brother was, Highland Real was a fast finishing second in this race. Um, So it was interesting that with the Epsom experience of having won the Derby trial there that they chose to go to Shanti and we'll, we'll see how he does. Um, but, but he'd have a long way to go to, uh, to come up the belly Doyle pecking order right now. There is that famous quote from Vincent O'Brien, the former master of belly Doyle and the genius who set all of this alongside John Magner in, in motion with the backing of Robert Sangster as well, who was hugely important that if you think you have four Derby horses in your yard, you probably don't have any, in the modern era of racing, that has entirely changed and Coolmore have redefined what it is to be champions. Um, they dominate and that is in no small part Aidan O'Brien despite his insistence on throwing praise on everybody but himself um, and indeed the talents of Ryan, Shamey, 
uh, Donica and, and Wayne Lorden, who, you, who they're able to rely upon uh, as well. And the reason I mention this is because Godolphin and Coolmore were at war with each other for so long, and there was that impasse. They wouldn't buy each other's stock, and thankfully there is now peace in our time and we can all move on. But Godolphin had a, a fantastic day on Sky Sports Racing when they won the French 2000 and 1000 guineas. And they got their first derby victory last year with the proper Godolphin blue colors on with Massar. And a year later, it's Aidan O'Brien winning the French, sorry, winning the 2000 and 1000 guineas at Newmarket, winning the 1000 guineas with Ryan on board and on Hermosa in the Curra, and finishing second in an Oaks and winning a derby. They are the powerhouse. And just as it looked as though Godolphin were about to start come along and, and really emerge again as the great battler, Bally Doyle and Coolmore pull, pull away once again, which is only something that you can admire. Yeah, no, I think so. Um, obviously, they've they've had their, what you sound like, differences or whatever, not that they would probably say that, but it's just nice that we've got this competition and, and 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 giving it a boost to the sport, I think, more than anything, um, and making real tough competition. So I think it's something that we should certainly all sit back and just thoroughly enjoy. Yeah, 100%. And look, UK racing and Irish racing, indeed, benefits greatly from the investment from Godolphin and from Sheikh Mohammed and... Um, it's very interesting that he's given horses to Jim Bulger and to McAlford and, and to others here in Ireland as well, to Dermot Weld. Um, and that I, I'm sure that's something that will continue to increase the investment in Irish racing. But it's crucial to Newmarket. It's crucial to, to, um, to British racing as well and to sponsorship of British racing. And the same goes with, with Coolmore and their sponsorship of, of racing and, and their investment as well. We've seen in the jumps game, Mick O'Leary go, that's it. Thanks very much. Been a great fun. I'm off. And while there is a very mixed opinions on that, there is a view from some that, oh, this is a good thing. I really don't think it is. And I think we'll, we'll see as time goes on how that how that unfolds. But just imagine if Sheikh Mohammed or John Magner, and thank God his his sons, unlike the, uh, the family of Mick O'Leary, love horse racing. But just imagine if they decided, actually, we're going to get into this, the stocks game instead. We're off to Wall Street. Mm-hmm. It would be devastating to racing. It would be a horrible blow if they focused their attention on football or Formula One instead. Um, some people may not like the domination of certain stables and ownerships, and I understand that. But I think when you have... Um, and that's another reason why I wanted to bring up Saeed Bin Saror, because he's a very, very talented trainer who had to resort to... <sighs> not the best methods in what he said about John Ferguson and, and James Doyle. And I think there's, there's still the after effects of that are being felt uh, in terms of, of the Godolphin empire. But there's no doubt he's a very talented trainer. But while a lot of people will point to Dave O'Brien and say, Aperture, he gets great horses every year. They're lumps of coal. You have to turn them into diamonds. And every single year, Aidan O'Brien does that year in, year out, whether it's a champion juvenile, champion sprinter, champion stare, it's no coincidence that he's responsible for horses who have made history. It's no, no coincidence that he's the trainer of Galileo who imports all of this incredible ability into his progeny. And I think that's 
a measure of the man and it's also indicative of what Joseph has gone on to do in his career as a trainer in early stages but hugely successful so far and Dunica as a writer who you could argue Dunica's actually a better jockey than, than Joseph and probably learned an awful lot from his brother and his father the man's just a genius yeah he really is and it, like you say it's having um, nature that's one thing but it's how you nurture it isn't it and that's something that Aidan O'Brien has proved down to an absolute T that he can do year after year. Um, and just to keep horses performing so consistently at the top of their game and getting the results every year. And um, just touching on uh, Donnick O'Brien as a, ride, a rider as well, he just seems to be so hungry and wants it. Um, I think that he's got a real fire in his belly and some of the rides he's given um, a lot of horses, I think, are massively standout rides. And um, I think that he is becoming of age, if anything, and he just seems to have it like that. Some of the rides you've seen on Magna Grecia, um, I just think he's absolute class and deserves every every success that he gets. I remember interviewing him last year, and he's yeah, or listening to interviews, and he's sort of saying, "Yeah, well, lucky I'm Aiden's son, really." But I think he deserves it in his own right that you know, he he puts his heart and soul into uh, Bally Doyle and the operation there, and. I think he's come out and given some wonderful rides. So he's a, certainly a jockey that I think, like you say, is equaling and aspiring to his brother Joseph in a short career that he was hugely successful. Um, he seems to be even surpassing him, which I never thought um, he'd be able to do with it being so tall. But he's a, a huge talent. Absolutely. And when he won the Oaks last year on Forever Together, he gave that horse an absolutely sublime ride. And I think that's when he was asked... What's your greatest attribute, Danica? Being the son of Aidan O'Brien, which is yeah. just another example of uh, the humility that the family have, and which is great to see as well, because you know nobody likes jerks. Uh, we all like uh, we all like people who are nice. Um, I assume uh, that your dad, Gary, who I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, is a real genuine uh, gentleman and was all graceful and not punching the air with delight and high-fiving the Queen after winning and gossiping uh, for Andre Cena. Uh, it was a fine performance because it's it's a handicap at Epsom and to go and win by five lengths is no easy thing. And he's gone and spoilt the Queen's party yeah. with your brother on board as well. So um, a, a fantastic performance for, for Gary. I'm sure he got a great kick out of that. Yeah, he did. Um, I have to say my brother Jamie absolutely adores the horse and he sort of does his own little thing on him every day and my dad sort of um just leaves him to it um because he he is a bit of a, a head case the horse he's he's quite a highly sprung character um but Jamie seems to be um getting him to really fire at the moment but I just thought that um the way he pulled clear was so impressive oh Andrea Rizzini to switch him off the way he did when he was stepping up back to the mile again. I thought that was the thing that really just brought out an even more improvement at the age of seven, which is quite remarkable. He's well positioned on the speed, but he got him well switched off. But sadly, my dad couldn't um, go because he very kindly booked a trip to New York for my mother's 60th, which I think when he looked at the dates, he just assumed it's May, it's fine. You know, oh, that, that's no. not the derby. So he, he missed out on the occasion. So, um, But they've, they've sent me some wonderful pictures from Central Park having lunch and they've been sightseeing at the, having nice uh, afternoons at the boathouse. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Dad's uh, happy enough. Was, <laughs> was one of the pictures that was sent to you by any chance a picture of your dad shaking his fist going, oh, my God, I'm missing Epsom and a, yeah, and a winner yeah, on Oaks Day? Yeah. 
and he loves Epsom. He um, started out training there as well um, at Ermine Lodge just across the road. So, you know, um, Epsom's a very special place for uh, for him. So, yeah, I'm sure he'll be happy that he's kept my mum in good form, but equally a, a little bit gutted that he wasn't there on the day. But um, I'm sure he'd been thrilled that Jamie was, who, as a, a jump jockey, has managed to get this flat horse to continue to thrive and little things like he took the stalls very well which is not never easy but um it was a good occasion and equally talking about local trainers a really good uh, end on the first day as well watching simon dow come home in front well uh, with a winner of the handicap and just touching off jim boyle i would have been happy either way which way that went round it was only the narrowest of margins but at least it was the two epsom trainers battling it out at the finish because you know they really do a, a good job at you know, training from Epsom, they fly the flag for the centre and and it does need a bit of recognition again because you know, it used to be the real hub, it used to be one of the hearts of the of the racing game and obviously we've got the derby there, but it, it sometimes lacks that I don't know, that kind of buzz that you get from Newmarket or Midlam, um, those big training centres or like the Curra. Um it, it it's an important place and it, it needs to be kept thriving and I know that the jockey club put a lot of money into the area and and we need those those trainers sending out the winners from from Epsom it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you Hilly so I'm going to ask you one question of all the horses that we saw at the weekend including the French Derby winner the Prix de Jockey Club winner if you were to have a bet on the arc which will be live on Sky Sports Racing who would it be None of them enable. <laughs> <laughs> Sisters are doing it for themselves. She just bolts up. I have yeah. backed uh, a filly for the race, but it's not enable. I've backed magical. Yeah, no, I think she's very tough, and I, I love her as well. And what we've seen on her reappearances this season, she looks an absolute uh, dream as well. But I just cannot see past. Uh, enable I think she'll be trained down to the team sea of class will be a, a huge danger no doubt again but for me it's all about the queen still and that's very much her so um yeah I don't think anything that we've seen this weekend will will rival the older horse but that's racing it's an opinion and time will tell <laughs> time discloses all as, as the famous clock at the Curra says uh, that is it we are done Haley Moore thank you so so much for your time as we look back on, on Epsom I'm delighted that it was a success for your father I'm sure that Ryan will be having plenty more success as well thank you for the insights into whether or not Ryan gets to pick that's good. Now we know. The lads tell them what to do. And uh, When are we seeing you on Sky Sports Racing next? Uh, Southwell, very soon. So, That's to be clear, jumping. the pronunciation oh. is Southwell. Well, I want to say Southwell, but apparently the locals say it's Southwell. No. So, I, I have to think about it, to be honest with you. I had a landlady years ago, and I said, oh, there's a race. And she was having a pop at me for saying... Southall when it is Southwell yeah. so you are 100% right so, uh, yeah. and it's yeah. it's like Goran Park here today so that's we all, well, we'll all get there who am I to lecture people yeah. on pronunciations I have a bloody clue what I'm talking about half the time and are you looking forward to Royal Ascot and melting in the sunshine yeah that's we hope that the sun will continue to shine like it did um, at Epsom for the two days but yeah really looking forward to it it's, it really is isn't it the, the best five days on the flat so yeah can't wait there's it really is 
going to be a cracker. Nothing like it. I shed at least five stone just from standing there sweating in a top hat and tails. <laughs> uh, but it's brilliant. It really is brilliant. Hayley, thanks so much for your company. Loved talking Pleasure. to you Thank about you. a brilliant weekend's racing. And we'll see you soon on Sky Sports Racing. Remember, you can look back at all the articles from Simon Rollins, from our good friend Kevin Blake, who's back soon. Don't worry. Uh, on the Final Furlong podcast. And we're back with you on Thursday on the show. Until then, God bless. Have you downloaded the free app, The Races app yet? With easy to use race cards and form, expert daily tips, plus video replays and in-app betting, it's the app that no racing fan's phone should be without. Available for free on your iPhone or Android mobile, visit attheracescom forward slash app for more details.